Yes, the stuff in the margins. Full tilt balloon. Catch the fever and die of it. Hello, and welcome to uh, Say Title Here. Come on. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, welcome to the stuff in the margins. Uh, we put a surprising amount of work into this, you know. But because this is our first story, we thought we'd start with something easy, like an epic horror comedy western love story. Well, we do hope you enjoy it, and we eagerly await your internet bile. Uh, but now here it is. Say title again. Uh, I'm just reading what's there. <laughs> Full Tilt Malone. Heroes. The books and legends say this was a time lousy with heroes. They were either barkeep, a damsel, a black-bearded killer, or what we simply called the law. Exciting times if you believe in that sort of thing. But then again, I never could. Take these pine boxes, for instance. Heroes and cowards both eventually get packed up and shipped to their maker in matching parcels. Heroes just tend to arrive a great deal sooner. Yes, sir. I'd all but given up on the very idea of a hero, the same way a young boy gives up hunting jackalope, a chicanery of youth that only the hard ways of the world can cure. I've been out on the frontier for, hmm, well, I don't know, let's just say too damn long, when I saw this dandy, this city man, you know the type, educated and wrapped up in a fancy suit, dispense a branded justice that would have made old Bill settle down and take up something less dangerous, like bullfighting. Yes, sir. This man sent the devil's share, and I mean the whole damn share, to the bone orchard, and set a fire to the sumbitch that was hotter than hell its own damn self. Just goes to show a man with enough violent bile churning up in his gut, and also pretty handy with the steel, can make even this old broke fool believe again. Excuse me. I'm off to see a man about a jackal. Some time ago, I suspect, in San Francisco of all places, our story begins in the bedroom of St. Patrick Mullaney Malone. A short man by trade, Malone wears a dapper three-piece suit and has a dainty little curl to what passes for a mustache out Frisco way. The beautiful Tallulah in her yellow dress and matching hat and lace gloves helps her husband with his tie. Husband, you never could figure out these here ties, now could you? Oh, I'm sorry, Tallulah. You know I'm normally just joking when I can't tie a tie. It's just that uh, I'm so damn nervous about meeting your father. Now you listen here, St. Patrick Mullaney Malone. I cannot be married to a coward. It is unbecoming of a war metal gal. <laughs> oh, husband, I'm sorry. You know how my family is. If my sisters knew I'd hitched my wagon to a lame steed, they'd eat me alive. 
Well, now, I don't think no, I'm... No, no, really... no, of course you're not. Not to me. Well, I'd like to think not at all. I've always fancied myself... And bit... I do, too. Well, you didn't even let me tell you what I fancy myself as. I just don't care anymore. If we have to live a life of secrets, at least we will share those secrets. You and me, husband. You and me. Well, I dare say you're right, my love. When it comes down to it, after all, the matters... I hate to interrupt, husband. Uh, do you? But I must... But I, but I must tell you something. What is it? I need you to go by the name Roscoe Cavendish tonight. Now, where uh, Sweetie, I... sweetie. Yes, husband? Why am I Roscoe Cavendish tonight? I apologize again. I know my family comes with its own set of quirks. Hey, like how your father refuses to meet his daughter's husbands till after they're married. Yes. As he puts it, he'll either be pleasantly surprised or condemn the poorly chosen suitor to a lifetime of resentment and shame. Well, and I take it he doesn't care for cowards. Heavens no, can't stand them. Not that you are a coward. However, if my father were to perceive you as a coward, well, that's almost worse than actually being one. How could that possibly be worse? Because a coward would have the sense to run away. Uh, makes sense. Well, he can perceive whatever he wishes to perceive. I will never run from a challenge if the prize at the end is your love and affection. And, of course, he'd positively have me tossed in a sanitarium if he knew I married an Irishman. <laughs> well, wait, he doesn't know I'm Irish? Well, I couldn't possibly be more Irish. And I love that about you, husband, but I shan't be telling father about that, shan't I? No, dear, you shan't. By the saints, you shan't. And if you build an impression of proper grit and goodness, we may just get you a fine gentleman's work at Father's Real Company. Uh, I just want so badly for you to pass the War Metal Crucible. The War Metal cr Crucible? Husband, you look like you've given fright a fright. Well, it's just, yeah, you never told me this dinner was called the War Metal Crucible. Oh, never you mind, wife. I guess we'll just be making this a day full of firsts, I suppose. You'll do lovely tonight, husband. Now, finish bronzing your cufflinks. This night is our new stop. Now, where did I put my dinner parasol? As Tallulah busied herself with her womanly preparations, Malone peered out the window to see the smoke and steam of American progress, as well as the rails that stretched out to the eastern wilds beyond. Later that night, Malone and Tallulah's carriage pulled up to the imposing War Metal estate. As they stepped down onto the shit-covered avenue, they were greeted by a waiting servant. Good evening, folks. My name's Poseidon. Well, we're sure all pleased to entertain such an upstanding pair of swells such as you this fine evening. May I de-shit your walking shoes? Well, that won't be necessary. We've brought extras. Tallulah, you know, I rather dislike when you do this. It seems a... Bit indulgent. Nonsense, husband. It's the new practice in France. All the society gals are doing it. Well, at least allow me to dispose of these tainted walking shoes, a pair of which you find yourself burdened by. My, how polite and cultured. Why, oh, Jesus wept. Let me show you inside, madam. These streets are no kind of place for a silly white woman such as yourself. What was that? I said right this way. 
The cavernous entryway of the War Middle Estate was lined with marble pillars, artwork, and gladiatorial statues. A grandfather clock sat on the main landing of an imposing staircase. Yeah, well, this is it, innit? Master will be down shortly. Don't touch anything. Stay out of the catacombs. And above all, have fun. Say, dear, do you know that man? Oh, heavens no. You know I haven't been allowed home since I went off to Academy. You were 13. Yes, and now I'm back for the Crucible. So you haven't seen your family in six years? Don't be silly. There's correspondence, holidays in Vancouver, and let us not forget graduation. Father stayed the weekend. Oh, but that sounds terrible. I'm learning so much about your family these last few... Well, today, actually. Every morsel of truth is more ghastly than the last. It is merely the War Metal Way. The War Metal Way. Malone spun around to see Bryn, Grundle, and Socks, the three other War Metal girls. Bryn is in a long black funeral gown and stands a foot in front of the others. Grundle is nearly seven feet tall and wears a gray dress carrying a mysterious sack. Socks wears a white dress and is inexplicably wet. What are you? Call me Tara's husband. These are my sisters. Brian. Charmed. Grundle. Mm. And Socks. Socks. Are they... are they dead? Death calls on us all. What? Husband, you're being downright silly. Oh no, what was that? What did she just say? Sisters! <laughs> We haven't seen each other in... Oh, has it really been since Socks' Crucible? Pity as though it may have been. How is Father? I must see Father. Consumed by the blasted railroad. Whom have you chosen, sister? I beg your forgiveness, sister. This is my dear husband, Roscoe Cavendish. Keep weeping, Jesus. Right, well, I guess I'd be Roscoe Cavendish. I'm sorry, your name was? Grin Warmetal, eldest, closest to the grave, as of this morning at least. And you were? Grundle will not speak. The crucible takes its toll on every Warmetal girl in whatever manner it finds most cruel. Don't scare him. It's really not so bad. I'm afraid it is, sister. You see, kind sir, Grundle was not always the beastly specter you see before you. She was once quite beautiful. The only thing that could match her beauty was her voice. Every morning when we were young, she would tiptoe upon the veranda and sing. Birds would silence their own calls. It was as if they knew no song could ever match that of my dear sister. That is, until the day of her crucible. She loved the man she had chosen, and he loved her. They married and even considered fleeing the crucible, and thus, father. Her husband decided that it was a coward's practice to run, and took his place at the war medal dinner table. What... what happened? Well, of course, the husband was rejected. Afterwards, he could be heard saying from the front drive that he would have no part in the affairs of a war medal girl, and rode off. Every day after that, Grundle sat for hours out on the veranda, in a melancholy trance. Never again would she allow a single sweet note to escape her lips. She simply sat and watched the birds, who, in mourning of the voice they too would be deprived of, never sang again. Something else happened the day Grundle forsake her beautiful voice. She began to grow. What? Of course, no one noticed at first. She rarely lifted herself from that damp veranda chair until the day of young Sox's crucible. 
she rose from her solitary perch and towered over a disfigured monster that had consumed my sweet, sweet sister. I never cared for music. Atlantis War Metal descended the stairs one at a time. He was old but clearly powerful, and business as well as physical ability. All the vibrato, the tremolo, the harmony. Trains, like this clock, have a cold simplicity. Their song is a song with one note, one melody, one time signature. And it never ends. Never you, never ever. Father! There will be ample time for your affections after the crucible. Yes, yes, of course, Father. How about you, son? How do you tick? Uh, on time, sir? On time. We'll see. We'll see. Poseidon! Well, that's me, isn't it? Prepare the hall. We're testing a man's salts tonight. The walls of the dinner hall were covered with layers of overlapping antlers. There were antler sconces, antler candelabras, and an antler chandelier. The war metal girl sat on one side of a long mahogany table, while Malone sat across from Atlantis. I see you have a fondness for antlers. Yes, I also like antlers, clocks, trains, and antlers. So, um, what beast of cloven hoof shall we be feasting upon tonight? I don't follow. Father is an excellent huntsman. Tallulah. We a family of braggarts. Why, no, Father. I simply... Then why do you seek to misrepresent us in front of your husband? So, uh, this crucible, is it like a test or a contest or something? Because, uh, if that's the case, then I am confident I can best whatever challenge I'm presented with. Life is a test. Surely we can postpone the unpleasantness until we finish dinner. Dinner can also be a test in some way. However, Poseidon, hear my words. I grow weak from malnourishment. Would it please your cold African heart to watch me wither and die at my own table? Answer if you will. Yeah, yeah. Poseidon enters with three servants pushing carts of food. No, no, over there, over there. Oh, my. Lovely. Ah, swordfish, the weapon of the sea. Yes, and it appears to be boiled to perfection, I see. Um, sir, I hope this doesn't spoil your, uh, exquisite feast. But I, I must ask, just what is this crucible? It is the only measure of your worthiness to have married my daughter. Now eat. Yes, sir, I'm afraid I'm rather hazy on the details. What must I do to prove my love for your daughter? Love is a hallucination. Fit only for children's books and delirium. I want to know if you're worthy. Father, you need not worry about his worth. He is a good man. In fact, you could use a man like him in your company. If I were in the business of taking your word, there wouldn't even be a crucible. Would that be so bad? I'll just turn around. Cavendish, you want to be a railman, do you? 
More than anything. More than continuing your marriage to my daughter. Beg your pardon? The life of a railman can be lucrative indeed. But like most privileges in life, one must make sacrifices. An offering, if you will. I do not doubt you treasure the love of my... Oh, God damn it, Tallulah, would you sit still? There. <laughs> I do not doubt you treasure the love my daughter has bestowed upon you, but lovers are only fit for tea rooms and daydreams of young girls. So I ask, are you a lover or are you a railman? I'm a... I'm a... I'm a railman. Come with me. A lone chair sat on the veranda, its legs dug deep in patches of crushed tile. Warmetal opened an umbrella and handed it to Malone. They walked into the open space with Malone getting drenched. It took salt to disrespect my daughter, your wife, your room full of her family. I almost took you for a cowardly Irishman. Well, I'm not. I know that. Cavendish is a strong, pure name. I meant it as a figure of speech. So, was this the crucible? Hell no! No one passes the crucible. But you do have salt. And I'm in the salt business. I, I thought you were in the rail business. I am. It's a, just another figure of speech. Like cowardly as an Irishman. Or Chinaman live forever. I can use you, Cavendish. What do you need me to do? War Metal removed a pocket watch from his smoking jacket. In time, my boy. In time. What, whatever you need, Mr. War Metal. Good. Poseidon will take you to the station. What, now? Well, I mean, may I speak with Tallulah? It's a matter of loyalty. What do you mean? I mean, do you have any, boy? Uh, yes, sir. Warmetal took the umbrella and headed inside, leaving Malone at the mercy of the elements. Malone looked down at the watch and closed his fist around the cold metal. Oh, damn. The next morning, Malone was whisked away to the train station to board the Eastern Zephyr Limited. On the board to the eastern frontier, Boston, Carson City, certain death, then cremation. As he wandered car to car, searching for his seat, Malone penned a letter to his slighted bride. Dearest Tallulah, I hope this letter finds you in a more forgiven mood, as I have yet to hear from you since the night of the Crucible. You must believe me when I tell you that my cold behavior at dinner was merely a ruse to gain the trust of your father. I swear that everything I do is intended to provide the means and wages to transform me from the pitiful man begging you in this letter to a true man of wealth and substance worthy of your hand. I will return to you when I have achieved this goal. That is, of course, if you will accept this fool back into your graces. Until then, my love, I am off to the great eastern frontier. I know not what adventures await me out here. But Neptune himself could not keep me from coming back home to you. Keep high your spirits, my dear. Your husband is thinking of you, and will be home in no time. Alone absentmindedly bumped into Prefontaine Labarge, a tall and rugged Cajun man. A conductor hat with a gold pocket watch tucked into his vest. Oh, terribly sorry. Well, um... I was just writing a letter to my uh, 
Mail call's about to be uncoupled. Labarge grabbed Malone's letter, stuffed it in a pouch, and handed it to Porter Churn. Porter wore a blue uniform with a UC interrail postage outfit Carson City patch on the sleeve. Take this man's letter. Listen here, company man. Steady yourself. Zephyr's got a way of teaching nasty lessons to the soft-footed, yeah? Uh, yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Sir is my stationary name. On the rails, they call me Old Man or Lebarge or Conductor Lebarge or Conductor Old Man. The choosing's up to you. Now, company man, what's your business on this here train? Mr. Warmetal hired me to oversee uh, construction at the cremation junction. Cremation? Ain't nothing like that piss stain in the sand but death and pestilence. What's a dandy like you thinking you can say to those hard men that they gonna listen to that they make a heaven already shouted at their deaf ears? Well, I, uh, I was just told to oversee construction. I'm, I'm afraid I don't, uh, know what you mean exactly. Exactly speaking, I mean these men are no strangers to the effects of three waterless days on end. No food but what they shoot and trap on their own. Why old war metal think a bathed, school-learned suit-wearer like you can shift the camp's focus on survival towards a newfound hunger for job performances beyond me, company man. I seen these men gut their own for suggesting they pull a body off the tracks for a decent burial because they thought he was starting to sound like a company man his own damn self. Why, are the conditions really so bad? Easier men are beating dogs. They keen on biting someone awful soon. You do y'all's business and you do it quick like while we offload. That gives you three days. You feel like they priming to string you up by your pecker. You just scuttle on back to the Zephyr and I'll take you back home to your feather pillows and solid gold bed pants. Well, I'm not just some soft-heeled city boy, you know. I was once considered for service in Lincoln's army. Oh, my! Forgive my indulgences, General. I had no idea I was in the presence of a bona fide potential war hero. If I may be so bold, how many medals would you have won? Well, I may not have actually been enlisted, but I assure you I helped the cause. Oh, you helped the cause. How many balls did you produce? How many uniforms did you sew? I'll have you know I was selected above all those in my troop to answer the call of my nation. I thought you never enlisted. No, my troop. I was an actor. And because of my ability to reach the masses and inspire fear, hope, rage, and, God willing, patriotism, I was picked, or dare I say, my mastery of the craft was selected, to go forth and capture the hearts of the noblemen of the God-fearing North, to maintain this grand experiment in the only true divine governance. While I may have never fired a rifle or fixed a bayonet, I took aim at the hearts of all able-bodied northern men and pulled triggers of their courage and sent my Union balls hurling over the petulant south. So yes, sir, I enlisted. I enlisted hundreds of brave Union soldiers. Recruiter, huh? I never had me a recruiter, unless you count the blockade that choked my daddy's store till he had to pack us up and ship us out in Mississippi way. Did you fight? Tried to. Captured after Pemberton pussyfooted, sent a thousand to their deaths for goddamn Mississippi. Thank heavens you sent so many holy soldiers down to my neck of the woods. Although if I was a bitter man, I would point out that my treatment in your camps was not exactly neighborly. Well, though, war was hell on us all. Yes, I suppose we all made sacrifices. If you'll excuse me, I gotta shove coal up this old girl's ass. Wait, what do I do when we get to cremation? 
There's only one thing you gotta know about riding the rails out here. The trains run on time. Here, take this here watch. Uh, but wh what and if- And if some rock good hombre runs on his own time- The barge pulled a rusty revolver from beneath his vest and handed it to Malone. You set his clock back. Well, I I've never- You on the rails now. No acting out here. You a real thing or you a dead thing. A man who ain't handy with the steel out here ain't really handy at all. Next stop, cremation! Back in the icy confines of Warmetal's office, Tallulah and her sisters lounged about whilst her father signed insurance documents. So, sisters, how are the animals? been ever so long since I've seen them. Drowned. Well, on our honeymoon, husband and Mr. I... Mr. Cavendish. Yes. Mr. Cavendish and I went to a wonderful zoo in St. Louis, and, and get this, they had an elephant. Father, I bet you couldn't fit an elephant on the grounds. Bryn. Yes, Father. Take your sisters to the mausoleum. Give Tallulah a view of what is taking up all of her elephant room. Father, I didn't mean Come, to... sister. An evening with the family macabre will acclimate you during your homecoming. Effigy, unclock yourself. About time. <laughs> Ifji Burns slipped out from behind the grandfather clock. He was a slim man in a tailored suit with slicked back hair and an eye patch. Take these orders to the men. The old man does not make it out of cremation. It'd be my pleasure. But, uh, what about the husband? Huh? Cavendish. The men are professionals, but if he intervenes... The man shows promise, but I suspect him to be a coward at heart. Instruct them to aim at the extremities. But if you resist, they're to do what needs to be done. I want him dealt with. I want the old man dealt with. Understood. Standing on the roof of the Eastern Zephyr Limited, the barge teaches Malone the finer points of gun shootsmanship. Now, instinct dictates you shoot them in the eyeballs. Does it? But if I teach you anything, it is this. The eyeballs are damn difficult to put a bullet through. Difficult, but not impossible. However, a dandy such as yourself should aim for something close to the all-wheels house. Try the chest, neck, or peckle region. You send Mr. Slug the blood down, he's gonna want to drink his fill. To deny Mr. Slug is to deny your own damn self. Now, company man, send me your slug to the buffet. Malone took aim at a murder of crows in the distance. Oh, sorry, I guess I need some work. You don't work on bringing a spoon to y'all's mouth, do you? Beg your pardon? You don't work on whipping out y'all's pecker to take a piss? Well, no, it's not something I work on. Then why is you working on shooting? Shooting ain't no different than handling your other pistol. Man, just do. So do, man. Hey, I got it! Had a fine company, ma'am. If 
cremation is as bad as you say, I'm still not sure I'll be ready to defend myself just from killing birds. Shooting crows ain't no different from killing a man. A much smaller, winged man. If some creature is swooping in to pick out your eyeballs, it don't matter none the creature species. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's enough for today. Come on now. We gotta batten down the hatches and kick this bitch in the rear if we're gonna make cremation by nightfall. But I need more practice. We'll practice some more things a little later on. The trains run on time, yeah? Yeah, I, I wish I would have gotten a clean shot. I hate the idea of that animal suffering back there. Ugh, all right. These are hard times for hard men, and God help the man who ain't handy with the steel. At a remote Indian burial ground, we find the Oman brothers, Hunter and Beryl, as well as their accomplices, Hesitant Stelay and Chance Hansen, as they ravage burial mounds. Hey, look! A skull! How much you want to bet this fetches me a dollar down San Antonio way? Came here for turquoise, and turquoise we shall have. Well, yeah, but since we're here... Turquoise, Chance. Turquoise. G guys, I don't think we should be doing this, you know? Curses being what they are in these parts. Peril, back me up. C curses, right? Curses, schmerces, has. Squiggly handwriting can't hurt nobody. No, Peril. C curses, like what them Indians put on white folks who... Ogle their belongings. Scalpers don't have belongings, his. Government freed this land from the whole greedy lot. The entire damned country is now at the whim of the human potential. It's like a fine peony. Well, how's that? If some old fool is using such an instrument to sling whiskey in a whorehouse, can you blame a piano player for sitting in to play a tune? This is America, and we're just in time for the overture. Say, y'all hear that? We're living up to our potential. These bones and rocks ain't doing anybody no good sitting here in the dirt. Come on, grab a skull. I know a guy. Turquoise, how many times I gotta tell you fools? We're just here for the turquoise. <laughs> Effigy appears in a gray suit and black cowboy hat. The grave robbers scatter out into a wide arc and draw their pistols. This is a Costa Owen burial. Hope he used turquoise. You boys are about 400 miles off the X. What's your business, stranger? You just get, mister. We came upon these bones first. Turquoise. I don't see it. There ain't none. Shut up. Well, we might as well get something. Oh, I told y'all this was a bad idea. You shut up now. All of you. What's your business here? Name's Effigy Burns. Now, how would you cultured gentlemen feel about entertaining an offer that would keep you out of the grave and put some money in your pockets? I need four good men... And by that I mean I need four bad men for a job. Man, fuck this city slicker! Correction, I need three bad men for a job. Oh, hell! Maintain, boys, maintain! Shit, Hunter! He killed our cousin! Do this fool in! <laughs> you got a set of bull balls on you, don't you? How much are we talking? But Chance! He killed Chance! Our cousin! Ring a bell? He's a dead guy over there! Dinner's still warm in his belly! He had his uh, opportunity to keep his mouth shut, and I ain't never seen Chance draw like that before. I tend to go with the man with the fastest gun. Call it a quirk. 
feel free to help yourself to his skull since we apparently ain't gonna find any goddamn turquoise around here. Well, sir, consider our interest piqued. I represent a benefactor that needs a debt of disrespect repaid in full. I figured the Oman gang, what with your lack of news ragging, could manage to collect this debt discreetly. Now, wait a minute, mister. We got plenty of ink. We're wanted in six counties. You get that I selected you because no one's ever heard of you, right? But since I don't believe you, we can continue. Unless you'd prefer I fill these graves you have so generously uncovered for me. Well, uh, you know what they say. No press is good press. Right. There is an old man, a conductor, in the town of cremation. He's a rough drunk in a town full of the sort. Present yourself as yet another disgruntled rail worker and shoot him dead. This is a mighty cumbersome envelope. How do you know we're not the trustworthy, honorable man we present ourselves as and just decide to take a stroll down Mexico way to enjoy an early retirement? Because as cumbersome as that envelope is, you strike me as someone strong enough to handle one twice as thick when the job is done. <laughs> and because if you try to steal from me or my benefactor, there won't be enough hombres in all of Mexico to keep me from getting to you. We ain't gonna steal. Hunter, tell him we don't steal. He just saw us steal a turquoise. Skulls! Are we clear? Clear, Mr. Effigy. Now he's only in town for a couple of days. Get there and deal with him. Now wait a minute, mister. Asshole as he may have been, you still killed my cousin. Shouldn't we, like, get restitution or something? You know, recompense? Oh, shut your yap, Peril. You're putting us in jeopardy. Uh, this ought to cover his worth. Oh, a penny. Well, every bit counts. Well, Mr. Prefontaine LaBarge, I'll be seeing you real soon. The Zephyr pulled to a stop whilst workers departed the train. The town of Cremation was a collection of shoddily built shacks and shanties a few miles shy of an abandoned bridge project. Prostitutes and drunks filled mud streets, whilst piano ditties rang out from dozens of salutes. Handwritten posters denouncing war metal covered most of the walls. Malone stepped off the train whilst LaBarge leaned out from the end. Find a place to turn in for the night, but stay keen. Say, what's your name? It's Roscoe Cavendish. Your real name. Well, what do you mean? My name is... My name is Malone. I kind of thought you'd just keep calling me company man. I ain't getting soft on you if that's what you're thinking. Just thought you'd want to keep your ties to the company under your hat for the duration. See you around, Malone. You know where to find me when the bullets come calling. Prostitutes, drunks, and gamblers filled the first floor of Hell's Bell's brothel. Malone approached the bar to find Heavens to Betsy, the gracefully aged owner in a dark red corset. She carried herself confidently, but was clearly suffering from the water shortage in town. Well, look at you, bathing and everything. Nobody told this old gal a real live gent would be stopping by. Heavens to Betsy's the name, what'll you have? Water is off the menu, but we do serve all other manner of wet refreshments. Uh, I was hoping I might trouble you for a room. 
I figured, but what kind of furnishings would you prefer? Here at the Bells, we offer entertainment from all corners of the globe. European, Oriental, maybe even a little something from the dark continent. No judgments here, mister. Oh, thank you, ma'am. I'm not really in the mood for a show. I'd just like to get to bed and lie down. Looking for someone to do all the work, huh? Come again. No problem, mister. We'll take care of you. How many hours can I put you down for? Well, gee, I'm useless on anything less than eight. I admire the confidence. Thanks. Well, what do I owe you? Well, let's see. Thirteen dollars should cover it. For one room? Did you want more? What? No, no, one should do it. Wonderful. These gals will show you up. Oh my, that's service. <laughs> Just you wait, big spender. Thanks for showing me up. Oh, of course. Um, for your trouble. I should be turning in now. Um, yeah, well, you all seem very friendly. I, I should tell your employer. Girls, please, I'm spoken for and you're working. Oh, ladies, please. Hey, that <laughs> One moment, ladies. I seem to have misplaced the. No, 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 we were there. I just. Uh... Oh, Jesus, wet. I'm gonna need to get in the room. I won't get any sleep in there. Wait, what's that? Christopher Cross, they're gonna kill the old man. In the room adjacent to Malone's ladies, Hunter and Peril a man, along with hesitance delay, discuss matters most foul. Me and Hazel cause some kind of distraction in peril. I'm giving you the honor of pulling the trigger on the old man. Oh, thank you, brother. But you being the leader and all, shouldn't you get the honor? Well, thank you for saying that, brother. But you've more than earned it. Besides, I, I have to watch after Haz. Oh, fellas, fellas, we can't really go through with this, right? C -c Killing some c conductor for money? I don't know. I mean, we, we never actually c killed nobody before. Oh, please. The old man gang ain't killed nobody before? I killed more than I ain't killed yet. Hell, I killed my first school teacher just to teach her a lesson. I once killed a grave digger for the convenience of it. Yeah, I, I killed a drunk because he looked like he could use a shot. Well, that's nothing. Did I ever tell you about the time I... You're right, Peril. You're far better killer than me. That's why you should do it. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I ain't never killed no one. What? How to gutless... Peril, what's a name for someone who's never killed someone? A normal p p person Hunter? What now? I, I ain't never killed no one either. Dang it, boys! Do I gotta do everything? Fine. I'll kill the barge. You two draw the workers away. Unbelievable. You know you guys... <laughs> I've got to get to the barge. Lone races the heavens to Betsy down at the bar. Oh, excuse me, miss. Bit off a bit more than you could chew, huh? It happens. I need to find a man named LaBarge. Do you know where he stays? The old man? Everybody knows him. 
He's supposed to be addressing the workers at the town square. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, and I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble, but your maids are a bit overzealous in their hospitality. I haven't heard that complaint before. As Malone raced out into the cremation night, Conductor Labarge addressed a group of rail workers from a stage in the town square. Now, meanwhile, old War Medal is at home counting his gold. How long we gonna sit here dying in this here desert before someone ups and starts a fuss? About time we send that son bitch a little what for. Now, I know you gentlemen fancy ourselves rugged individualists, but the only way we're gonna grab old Moneybag's attention is by banding together and shouting down his gullet that we ain't gonna lay down one more damn tie lest we get some goddamn water down in these parts. Mr. Oakman, Conductor LaBarge! Let's see him run his precious trains through the goddamn dirt if he pleases. Across the square from the podium, Hesitants kept a nervous lookout as Peril set dynamite at the base of the water tower. Working together in some sort of union, we can force War Metal to give us water. And when that there day comes knocking, my brothers, the first drink is on. The base of the water tower exploded. The empty cistern fell to the ground in a plume of dusty wood. The crowd scattered forcing Malone to fight even harder to reach the stage as Hunter pulled a pistol from his waist and approached LaBarge. Do it. Do it. All right. Spoon in mouth. Pecker in hand. <gasps> oh, sweet shit. He was right. Right in the eyeball. Hunter! Ow! Whoa! Yes! Don't you die on me! I don't know how long I can wait. Malone dove behind the podium beside LaBarge and fumbled to reload. Slow down, son. What do I do? LaBarge pulled out his pocket watch and gave it to Malone with a trembling hand. Take your time. Uh, fuck you, Mississippi. Uh. Oh, seriously? There was a moment of silence as Malone stood over LaBarge's body. The crowd slowly moved in. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I tried to... As Malone tucked his pistol into his waistband, he discovered that he'd been shot. Oh, damn. Morning, big spender. <laughs> Malone woke in a second-floor bedroom of Hell's Bells to heavens to Betsy dabbing his head with a wet cloth. Death must have been mighty disappointed when he reeled in your empty hook. You saved me. Least I could do for the man who lays down thirteen dollars without even bruising up my girls' faces. Malone looked down to see the horrific stitch job that Betsy had done on his wound. I'm more the town's doctor out of necessity than skill. It'll hold, though. At least long enough for you to get back on your heels to fight off the next group of war metal killers. I was just trying to help my... LaBarge, is he... Passed on, I'm afraid. Could have been a lot worse if you weren't so handy with the steel. Leave it to the old man to bring in someone like you to help with the fight. Uh, I wasn't... Could you 
Could you give me a moment alone? Sure thing, doll. Me and the girls will be downstairs if you need anything. You just rest now, hero. <laughs> Time to get up. Bloody hell! Effigy Burns slid out from under the bed and sat beside Malone. You passed the test, kiddo. Test? Was this the crucible? What? No. No one passed the crucible. This was just a test. A test? Four men are dead. This land was built on the graves of dead men. War metal employs those who can stand the smell. So, what, you sent me out here to see if I'd get killed? We sent you out here to see the Grenzi assault, kid. Welcome to the company. Now can you move? We got a train to catch. We're, we're leaving? W what do we do about the workers? Well, for starters, they're all coming with us. They'll be given raises and all the full-course meals they can stomach. After all, we need them healthy for the medal ceremonies. Really? No! These spike-hammering rail monkeys have made their proverbial beds, and they can proverbially lie in them. But they're dying out here. So? What do you think they're here for? The train leaves in an hour. Don't make me come and fetch you. I hate fetching. Will Tallulah be there? Uh, I have to speak with her. <sighs> You just don't get it, do you? Tallulah has moved on. She took none too kindly to you walking out on her. You abandoned the girl. I am not entirely unsympathetic, but you are married to the rails now. Effigy stood to dust off his back and handed Malone a pocket watch. Oh, no, no, no. One hour. Uh, thanks, I'll... Put it with the others. Malone stepped out into the blinding desert sun, hunched over from his wound. Evans to Betsy caught him before he left town. Malone! You're sure you won't stay? This town is one hero short already. I'm sorry. I've got a woman that deserves an explanation. Well, fine. You know, I'd love to meet the cold mistress that would take in a man content to leave a whole town to shrivel up and die out on the cold eastern frontier. You have yourself a nice trip, Mr. Malone. Here's your $13 back. Have yourself a drink on me and the girls when you get back to San Francisco. You company men are all the damn same. Emaciated workers line the street to the train station watching angrily as Malone limped toward the all-black war metal express. The Eastern Zephyr Limited set a mobile on a sidetrack. Looky Lou, a Chinese rail worker, stepped out and spat on the street in front of Malone. <laughs> Screw you! Come on, man. On board the war metal express, Malone took a seat in an empty car. Through the window, he could see the workers burying Labarge in a hilltop cemetery when he was interrupted by Effigy thrusting a glass of champagne in his face. Welcome to the company, company man. Malone watched the funeral for a moment before chugging the champagne. Give me one moment, please. And jumping off the slow-moving train.
Effigy followed close behind and drew his pistol. Where you going, company man? Nobody turns their back on war metal. Stop saying that. I am not your damn company man. You got nothing left. No friends, no woman, and if you leave, no job. So what's it gonna be, Cavendish? The name's Malone. <gasps> and all this time I think I'm recruiting a man. But in fact, you're nothing but a spud farming Irishman. I'll kiss the Blarney Stone, Malone, and listen to this Irish lullaby. People, please, stand back. I'll handle this. Very well. You've all called for your own reckoning. Hell is coming to cremation, and you will all burn! Effigy boards the War Metal Express, leaning out of the doorway as it picks up speed out of town. You will all burn! Later that day, Malone sought refuge from the hopes and prayers of the desperate rail workers in the town cemetery. He thought of nothing but escape. Unfortunately, he found himself standing before the grave of the man what brung him. Here lies Prefontaine Labarge. Born one day, died another. The trains run on time. I wish you were here, old man. This town needs a hero, and what they got is me. A city man, a coward, and an actor to boot. And what's so bad about that? Betsy, sorry I didn't see you there. I'm in way over my head here, Betsy. Do you know that you're the only man since LaBarge to come to this town and actually do some good in this hellhole? For all the dames and whiskey, what these men really needed was someone to believe in. Someone to save them. To save all of us. But LaBarge was a hard man. I'm just an actor. Come with me. Taking advantage of what was supposed to be a somber day off, the Girls of Hell's Bells were putting on a burlesque show for the grieving workers. What are we doing back here? I don't need a drink. What do you see here, Mr. Malone? Strippers? Think, Mr. Malone. Are these women truly dying to reveal their wares to a bunch of filthy, starving rail workers? No. They are pretending. Acting. And yet, they have united these men into a single mode of thinking. All of these men have one thing on their minds. And that, Mr. Malone, is acting. So, you want me to dance? I want you to unite these men with a different purpose. I want you to unite them to take back this town. Now, go break a damn leg. As night fell at the old war metal estate, Atlantis was adjusting his grandfather clock when Effigy peeked out from behind it. Uh, bad time, sir. News of the old man is dead. A telegram would have sufficed. <clears throat> uh, there are other concerns. <sighs> it's Tallulah's husband. He's lied to us. He's actually Malone, an Irishman. An Irishman? Yeah! I'm afraid it gets worse. He has stayed behind in cremation. I believe he plans on saving the town. And I wish our little traitor good luck. 
However, the insurance on my government rail contracts doesn't pay off on workers who are merely thirsty. It would appear that we need to speed things along. Gather up the men. I need to break some hard news to my daughter. Across town at the Malone household, Tallulah placed logs in her fireplace. A vase of wilting flowers loomed overhead on the mantel. She reached for it with a trembling hand before sensing a presence behind her. What do you want, Father? I'm afraid I have tragic news of your husband. I don't care to hear it. I just want to be left alone. But you must. I'm afraid Mr. Malone has been killed trying to steal from the company. What? But how? How could... Wait. What did you call him? Yes, sweet Alula, I know. I wish your deceit stopped at merely covering up something so shameful as an Emerald Isle lineage. But he has gone much further, and it cost him his life. I don't believe you. He may be an Irishman, but he is no thief. That may seem hard to believe, but I know it in my bones. He was a good one, Father. Maybe the only one, but he was good. I want to trust you, Tallulah. God, how I want to. But the fact remains the same. You brought an Irishman to my home, and he paid the price. Now I need you to collect your things. You're coming to stay with me. I refuse. I refuse! Hear my words, daughter. This man left you all by your lonesome. It is over. You are coming home to your family where you belong. I had a family, and you sent him away to get killed. Very well. I didn't want it to be this way. Daughters! Come, sister. Show your sister to her permanent home. Tallulah was quickly ushered to the carriage outside. Across the street, the Carson City Courier, known as Porter, finally arrived from the eastern frontier, worn out and filthy, clutching Malone's letter in his hand. Back to business! The next day in cremation, Malone stood at the bullet-riddled podium in front of a crowd of hungover workers. Yeah, um, so, okay. My name is St. Patrick Mullaney Malone. And whilst I didn't know the man called Labarge or Old Man or Old Man Labarge or whatever, I do know that he deserved better than what he received at the hands of War Metal. Uh, he was a good man, a strong man. Not like me. I've been called weak, cowardly, and as one writer with a bone to pick from the San Francisco Sentinel put it, a detriment to the craft of live theater. I can't think of any redeeming factor that could convince any of you to lay your lives on the line for me. Um, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Labarge, uh, sorry, the old man, taught me that this is hard land, meant only for the hardest of men. And so... We all need to be really, really hard. And, uh, but, uh, but, but, but this story, this story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin and Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But, uh, but, uh, we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, 
wee band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile. This day shall gentle his condition, and gentlemen in San Francisco now abed shall think themselves cursed. They will not hear in cremation and hold their manhoods cheap. Will Stanley speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day. So who's with me? Oh. Hold on, hold on. I've heard the promises of the White Devil before. How are we supposed to fight War Metal? We'll be dead before his troops even arrive. Let's look at Lou. He controls the Chinese in the camp. We need him. Mm -hmm. Mr. Liu, I'm glad you asked that. As an ambassador of the White Devils, I can tell you one thing. We are nothing if not predictable. The trains do, in fact, run on time, and that is key. War Metal may be trying to starve this camp out, but I'll bet he has a dozen more in this territory alone, and all of them are going to need supplies. What good does that do us? Because we're robbing every last one of the sons of bitches. Out in the desert, the workers feverishly lay down track through the night as Malone looks over maps with Lou and Betsy. Malone rolls up his sleeves and picks up a hammer to help with construction. All right, boys, you can do it. Put your back into it. Yeah, that's the ticket. Yes, sir. Malone and his ragtag band of miscreants have their work cut out for him. We'll leave him to it, as it seems a certain handsome messenger has just arrived at the War Metal State out San Francisco way. Porter hopped the stone wall of the estate and hid in the bushes. War Metal was given orders to effigy before stepping up into a carriage with Poseidon and the other servants. As the carriage pulled away, effigy opened a hidden door on the front facade of the house and slipped inside. Porter stuffed Malone's letter into his satchel and crept across the grounds. He slipped past Grendel's empty chair on the veranda and peered down onto the mausoleum in the backyard. Socks patrolled the grounds with a Winchester in hand and a bandolier crossing her chest. Her white dress was still inexplicably wet. Porter snuck past Socks and entered the mausoleum. Tallulah sat on the marble floor of the mausoleum in a worn, dark yellow dress, picking the leaves off clovers. She turned to find Porter, who held out Malone's letter. Who are you? What have you given me? He's, he's alive? My Irishman's alive? You must take me to him. We will all meet him again when it is our time. Brit? Sisters? What are you... Put that gun away! No. But Malone is alive, and he still loves me. Your man lies. He lied to this family, and continues to lie from the cold clutches of the grave. And is this man another traitor you have brought into our home? Another Irishman, no doubt. Bryn shot Porter in the leg. He fell to the ground, screaming a silent scream. Grundle looked on intrigued at the man's refusal to make a sound. Sister... What would you have given for just another moment with your beloved effigy? Oh, dear Socks, what would you give to see Lewis? I will not be denied my reunion with the man I love. There is but one man who will never leave us. Don't you see? 
Father has only used us to bring him his precious company, man. Damn his crucibles and... And... Well, and damn him, too! Rejoice, sister. You shall meet your husband sooner than you thought. Grundle shook her head at Porter. Porter nodded his head. Grundle shook her head again, and I'll be goddamned if Porter didn't shake his head in return, tricking Grundle into a nod of agreement. Goodbye, sister. <laughs> Grundle leveled Bryn with a well-placed swing of her sack. Bryn was knocked out cold with the sack splitting open, spilling hundreds of dead birds. Socks backed away, steadying her Winchester. Trouble. It's trouble. You're free, sister. Come with us. You are free now. No. No. Mother. Do you remember your crucible socks? Lewis. Do you remember how father said Lewis had drowned in the fountain? I've never told you this, but I always suspected foul play. Why would a champion swimmer like Lewis drown in ten inches of water? I, like you, sister, wanted so badly to believe father, but how can I? Sister, all those nights of watching you wade through the fountain reliving that dreadful day. I guess I just miss the sister I used to know. My sweet, dry sister. I'm so... I'm completely soaked. I know, sister. I know. But you don't have to be anymore. Try off, sister. And join us. Socks looked up with a fire in her eyes as she cuffed her Winchester. Grendel draped Porter over her shoulder and the four exited the mausoleum, leaving Bryn unconscious on the floor. Effigy entered soon after they left and knelt beside Bryn, scooping her up in his arms. He carried her up to her bedroom and laid her on the bed. Every piece of furniture in the room was draped with black satin. She began to stir. Effigy kissed her forehead and headed back to the bookcase. Effigy? He took one last look before tilting a book on the shelf to open a hidden door. Rest, my dear. Rest. morning in the vast desert surrounding cremation, a train slowed as it approached a block in the tracks. Dick Decker, the conductor of the train, stared at a detour sign pointing to a flimsy, hastily constructed track jutting off from the main line. What the hell is this? Guess we're taking the scenic route, boys. Slow and steady. The flimsy detour rail took the train off course. Ten other rails snaked in from all around to a cluster of motionless trains. Decker's train crawled to a stop in the middle of the ten rails that all ended in the same area. He hopped down beside the crews of the other trains, who all looked as confused as he did. Another conductor approached. Mind telling me just what in the Sam Hill's going on round here? I was hoping you'd tell me. Looks like every damn war metal train in the territory has been directed here. I can see that, numbnuts. What the hell for? 
Someone's ass is likely to get kicked for this. A lone figure approached the crews on horseback. Waves of heat rose off the sand, distorting the figure. Dust kicked off either side of the rider like the wake of a riverboat. It was Malone, grizzled, having not shaved in a couple days. A ragged poncho replaced his dandy suit, and atop his head, he wore the conductor hat of Prefontaine Labar. Morning, lads. Kind of you to be assembling all in one place, and with all those lovely supplies you really shouldn't have. Uh, just what the hell are you trying to pull, mister? Consider it a message for your employer, company man. We folks over in cremation are awful thirsty, and wouldn't you know it, you gents have full bowsers. I'll be unburdening you of your heavy loads this warm and toasty morn. Do you know who you're stealing from? Our employer will come down on you with all the furies of hell, son. Aye, that he will. Now, if you'd be so kind as to disembark your men from these trolleys, and scuttle on back home, it'd be much appreciated. What would you do if I were to tell you we were going to spike you to the dirt and let the buzzards peck out your innards? Oh, I'd say you'd have to take that up with our complaint department. The men and women of cremation approached on the rails atop twenty seesawing handcars, brandishing various types of weaponry. Then again, we may be heading home earlier than expected. Hey, I thought you might. Malone and his men sent Dick Decker and his companymen packing before descending on the trains, stripping them of their water rations, rifles, and ammunition. Malone busted open a crate to find it filled to the brim with ticking pocket watches. Back in San Francisco, Atlantis War Metal addressed his private army at the War Metal Rail Yard, and he was none too happy. I am none too happy. Poseidon and the servants handed out weapons to the soldiers as they boarded the all-black war metal express. As Malone's people returned to cremation, placing rifles in open windows, Lou fixed a gap to go to the top of the reconstructed water tower. Out in the desert, caught between predator and prey, Porter set up camp as Socks and Grundle tended to the horses. Tallulah kept to herself, her worried gaze fixed permanently to the east. Evans to Betsy and Looky Lou stood on the roof of Hell's Bells, looking out at the War Metal Express approaching in the distance. Men took up positions throughout the town and waited in silence. Fifteen of Betsy's girls stood armed behind Malone as the Express ground to a halt a half mile from town. What are they waiting for? Why don't they come? Cowards! Places, people! And Lou, break a leg. I break a hundred legs! Betsy, you girls don't have to stick around for this. We are no strangers to the violence of men. I dare say some of the girls are looking for a bit of a role reversal. I do believe you gals will get your chance. Men poured from the War Metal Express and fanned out on either side as they offloaded cannons. Showtime! War Metal stood beside Effigy atop the engine of the Express. Batteries are in place. What are your orders? Aaron, go boom! Everyone, it's the stairwell! Ah! 
They've had enough. War Metal surveyed the carnage through his looking glass. Send in the Swede. A hulking blonde Adonis, known simply as the Swede, stepped off the train. Yes, the Swede should do just nicely. The Swede walked into the town square carrying a white flag. People have cremation. Our benevolent benefactor is not entirely unreasonable. Throw down your arms and turn over the Irishman known as Malone. Not only will the town be spared, you will flourish under the full support of the War Metal Corporation. Malone, with pistols drawn and Betsy clutching a sawed-off shotgun, crouched in the stairwell of Hell's Bells. Damn. Have faith in the man. They are with you. Yeah, I'll bet. It's in their pillow talk. Come again? Where there used to be fear and private weeping, now the men speak only of you, of hope. The men talk about me after sex? Better than before, isn't it? I guess. Standing defiantly before the rebelling rail workers, the Swede tossed down his white flag. This is your last chance cremation. Turn over the mick or perish. I assure you, the choice is yours. Looky Lou, fearing his filthy band of criminal laborers may be susceptible to taking self-serving deals, scaled the reconstructed water tower and shoved the Gatling gunner aside. Screw you, Norseman! The white devil belongs to us! Atop the War Metal Express, Effigy lowered his spyglass. Well, that went well. Insolent bastards! Level the town! Malone ran out into the town square. Lou, focus on the troops. Soften them up before they reach the town. Betsy, keep the girls inside until they're in the streets. The rest of you- Malone! Malone turned to see Tallulah, Porter, Grundle, and Sox crossing the square. My love? Malone raced toward her as shells landed all around them, decimating the town. They embraced in the center of the town square. I thought you'd be done with me! I thought you'd left me! Oh dear, you know I never could! Come on, you picked a hell of a day to visit. Back on the train, Effigy shoved the spyglass into Warmetal's chest. Mr. Warmetal, it's the girls! They're in the town! What? Let me see. That Jezebel! Hold your fire! No! The ingrates want to die in the starchy embrace of that potato eater! Then die they shall! Damn it, Atlantis! They're your daughters! Yes, they are my daughters to do with as I please! No quarter! What have I done? Let's not get sentimental about them now! We both know what choice you made all those years ago! That was my choice! But what I cannot abide is what I've done to my sweet Brynn! And for what? To have her sisters murdered before me? You forget yourself, effigy. I own you. Perhaps once, but never again, fiend. <laughs> effigy dropped down between train cars. Warmint looked down but saw nothing. 
Other soldiers searching under the train could only shrug their shoulders after a quick search. Bring me his eye! The two forces clashed in the streets as the shooting quickly devolved into hand-to-hand combat, with fighters on both sides using rifles more as clubs. Behind an overturned cart, Malone huddled with Tallulah, Porter, Grundle, and Socks. Get Tallulah to the bells! Malone, you don't have to fight anymore. I am here! Ah, but love, don't you see? That's why I must fight harder than I've ever fought before. Porter, get her to safety! You can't go back out there by yourself. Not alone. Never alone. Wait for me, dear. I always do. Hey, Socks, was it? Do you know how to use that thing? Louis Totten. Socks, wait, come back! Where the hell is Lewis? Deadly efficient was Socks as she dished out hellfire with every pull of the trigger. Malone followed close by with dual pistols picking off the sorry saps that didn't know. But when Socks kills you, you stay killed. In the fury of their rampage, Malone and his lethal sister-in-law found themselves in a dead-end alley, cut off by a contingent of War Metal's men. This is for the Swede! When the smoke cleared, Malone found himself grateful to be alive, and even more grateful that at the end of the alley now stood Betsy and her gals, the war metal contingent lying in a heap at their feet. Uh, Betsy, you're supposed to be at the bells! We're not just a bunch of helpless whores. If this town falls, there won't be a bells to go back to. But Tallulah's back there! Hell's Bells has been shelled and the upper floor has begun to burn. Porter signaled that they ought to leave. Malone told us to wait. No one is going anywhere. Bryn limped in from the shadows, filthy and disheveled in her funeral gown and holding her derringer. Smoke seeped through the boards above them. It is the fate of all war metal girls to die alone. This is as good of a time as any to fulfill our destiny. Grundle, show our sister to a seat. Grundle, oh, very well. No! Sister, you, you shot Grundle! What have you done? There is no such destiny for us. There are only father's lies. Malone is no different than my effigy. They all leave, sister. Sooner or later, they all leave. And then we burn. Effigy slipped out from behind a burning piano and grabbed Brynn. Save yourselves! Release me. You? I've done this to her, but there is still time for you. Get her out of here, mailman. Porter and Tallulah escaped, dragging Grundle behind them as Brynn broke free and found herself face to face with her long-lost effigy. My sweet, what madness could have led me to wound you so? Well, there you are. Bryn War Metal and Effigy Burns shared a long overdue embrace as Hell's Bells came crashing down upon them. Porter and Tallulah lay grundled down in the town square as Malone, Betsy, and the girls rushed over. Their reunion was short lived as they became surrounded by overwhelming numbers of War Metal's men. I feel we've reached the end, husband. Just look at me, Tallulah. Look only at me. It will all be over soon. I love you. 
War Metal's men steadied their aim as Porter, Betsy, and the girls circled up and aimed back. But before the first shot was fired, a bittersweet ballad trickled from Grundle's lips. The troops tried to maintain their focus, but tears formed in many an eye. Rifles began to lower as the sweet melody weakened them. Jesus wept. It's heavenly. See, sister. Shit. This is my voice. I share it one last time. The last thing that is mine. Release it to the sky. We have no choice, time will fly, and we all will die, leave nothing but our words, just listen to the birds. Those men rained down fiery death upon War Metal's army. As Malone and his people shot from the street, the invaders soon broke rank and fled the town in terror. War Metal snapped his spyglass over his knee and flipped open a long case engraved with antlers and retrieved a polished scoped hunting rifle. He leapt down into the engine compartment and shoved the conductor out the side. Or relieve. Ha! Full steam ahead! Cheers erupted in the town square as Porter knelt beside Grendel's now still body and gently closed her mouth. The rail workers swarmed the square and, adrift in this sea of celebration, Malone fought his way through the crowd to embrace his wife. You've done it, husband. I told you I'd never leave you. I know. I think I always knew. Metal Express smashed through a barrier upon the tracks. War Metal leveled his rifle on the engine portal and opened fire into the crowd of workers. Lou dove in front of Malone and was shot in the back for his trouble. Keep the whores, Malone. American progress will see this town crushed and return to the ashes from whence it came. Socks fired at the train with mechanical precision as Malone cradled Lou in his arms. Finish this, white devil! Become the hero. Tallulah, I... And this husband, lest this all be for naught. Malone raced to the Zephyr, which sat idle on a sidetrack, accompanied by a porter and an interracial cadre of burly workmen. Socks knelt beside Looky Lou. Forgive me, 
I have never seen such beauty among the white devils. Socks pressed a finger across his lips. Porter <gasps> and a couple other workers shoveled coal aboard the Eastern Zephyr Limited fast as they could whilst the train closed in on the War Metal Express. Malone loaded his pistols, crossed two bandoliers across his chest, and slipped a bowie knife into his boot. Stir your stumps, you layabouts. We got us a train to catch. War Metal stuck his head out of the engine compartment to see the Zephyr closing in. How is this possible? There's only been one railman who could ever catch the express. You've been busy, Labarge. With mere feet separating the trains, Malone crawled out upon the cowcatcher. Steady, boys! Steady! Just get me close. Malone leapt onto the back of the War Metal Express and clambered up over to the roof, shooting men who climbed up to stop him. He leapt car to car until he approached the coal car. War Metal fired at him from the front of the train. Malone dove into the open-topped coal car as War Metal detached it from the engine. So long, you black Irish bastard! As the rest of the cars began to drift away, Malone rose and dove onto the engine. War Metal beat him down with the butt of his rifle. Oh, oh take that, you Irish mini! Why are you doing this? Why kill the town? These men are capable of great things. They would have built your precious rail. The rail? Who gives a damn about the rail? Look around, Malone. Why would anyone need rail access to this wretched land? There is nothing here. Then why? What is the point of all this suffering? I am nothing if not insured, Mr. Malone. Do you know what kind of compensation I receive every time one of these Chinamen blows himself up out here? Welcome to post-slavery America, where a man can really make some money. You could have been part of my new world, but you threw it away. And for what? A bunch of laborers and that race traitor daughter of mine? You used your own children as recruiters for your sick empire. What kind of father are you? A wealthy one, Mr. Malone. I have to hand it to you. You did disrupt my enterprise. At least momentarily. It would seem my time here in this territory is at an end. But there are always other cities, other ventures, perhaps communications. Despite my objections, it appears this telegraph fad is here to stay. Tis a shame, though. Okay, fine. What's a shame? It's just that, well, if you did pay your workers, there's a better chance they would have actually built you a bridge. War Metal looked ahead to see the bridge over the ravine was unfinished. Those slant-eyed shirkers. Malone pulled the clump of watches from his pocket and swung them above his head. He lassoed them around War Metal's throat tying him to the throttle of a runaway train. Wormel's legs flailed about, looking over several Wells Fargo boxes, scattering bearer bonds to the wind. With only seconds to spare, Malone leapt from the train and tumbled alongside the track.
The express plowed through a wooden barrier and plunged into the ravine. My God! He passed it! He passed the corpse of The engine landed at the bottom in a heap of twisted metal and fire. Malone sat up beside the frayed end of the track, overlooking the wreckage below. snake of train cars bearing the golden W of his empire as it all came crashing down. section, pulled up next to Socks and handed her a flower. Betsy hopped down off of her horse and approached Malone and Tallulah. Nicely done, Malone. Oh, hello. <laughs> uh, we haven't formally met. What, with all the gunplay and death? What, you run the hotel in town, right? Kind of. You know, we got our work cut out for us for building cremation. We could use a hand. Well, it seems I do find myself unemployed at the moment, unless Tallulah? Don't look at me. I just want to spend the rest of my life with you. My love, I do believe we have all the time in the world. Yes, sir. These old eyes have seen a lot, but they ain't ever seen the likes of the man we call Malone. Tallulah is still shaken up by the loss of her family, but it would appear she sees hope in her sister. Yep, the one unfortunately named Socks, who, by the way, won't stop a hollering about her upcoming nuptials with looking goddamn Lou. <laughs> or, as the people of cremation now call him, Mr. Mayor. The town will be rebuilt, there's talk of a well being dug, and Betsy's already yapping on about building herself a hotel. A real honest to goodness hotel. And as they set out to rebuild their town from atop the ashes of the last one, there's even talk about changing the name. Phoenix, I think it was. I doubt it'll stick. As for Malone, well, I think the new sheriff will work out just fine. That's it, folks. Thanks for riding along on this here hero's journey. Sorry about all the cussing. 
But before you go, I'd like to introduce you to the classically trained actors who made it all happen. First up is Patrick Fair, who played St. Patrick Mullaney Malone, Effigy Burns, Chance Hansen, and the Shred. Benjamin Kipley airs Atlantis War Metal, Pyral Orion, and Dick Dagger. Marcy Berg as Tallulah War Metal Malone, Heavens to Betsy. Drew Berg as Brevontaine the Barge. Brand War Metal. Honor old man. In Poseidon. And introducing Russell Webster as. Looky Lou. <laughs> Hesitance delay. <laughs> Sucks. And of course, the ensemble. <laughs> With special thanks to Rebecca Smith for sharing her lovely voice on Grundle's ballad. We do hope you had a good time listening to our little tale. You know, I'm reminded of another story. Back in no, 1786... No, no, I think that's quite enough. Uh, goodbye. Bye, folks. Yes, the stuff in the margins. 